I'm tired of celebrity Christianity. I'm tired of big, fast, and famous. I'm tired of do what works to get people in. I want a Bible church. I want somewhere where they teach, preach, and live the Bible. Is Reformed theology and Reformed churches the only uh, people that accomplish this? I would like to embark, dear listener, on a series of why you shouldn't be Reformed or Calvinist. And this morning, we will be examining the doctrine of total depravity. Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkes-Barre in the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, then stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you missed the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube and Gab TV at 9 a.m. every Sunday where you will find these uploaded. You'll find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com and on Facebook, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube at God's Resistance, spelled G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. And you'll find us in person every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Excuse me. Now it's going to be every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. in the Wilkes-Barre Public Square. And you can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call or text at 570-362-7782. If you're looking for a place to worship with other believers and to um, look into the Bible and to be accountable one to another and live as Christians, please contact me. We are meeting in a home at this present time. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. So I said we were going to be dealing with total depravity this morning, and we are dealing with the Calvinistic system, uh, which acronym is TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. Now, Calvinists, in especially in our present day as well, they do stick out in our society because they go through different books of the Bible and they exposit all these different books. So naturally, people who are wanting truth are going to go somewhere where they're going through all the different books of the Bible. The problem is these main points of Calvinism are directly opposed to the scripture. And so a crash overview or a quick overview of what the main points that Calvinists believe as it, result, uh, as it um, regards sin, salvation, uh, redemption, that kind of thing, is explained under the five points of Calvinism known as TULIP. T stands for total depravity, which means that we are totally unable to do anything because of the fall. We're so messed up, God has to do everything. Unconditional election means that God, before the foundation of the world, chose some people to go to hell and some to go to heaven completely without their choices having anything to do with it. God's ordained it, thus he's decreed it from the beginning. Then limited atonement, so obviously the atonement of Jesus Christ is shed blood only avails for the ones that God himself chose from the beginning. And then irresistible grace. If God has chosen you and that limited atonement is for you, one of the elect, then you can't resist the grace of God. It's going to work, therefore resulting in the perseverance of the saints or that if you are saved, you will stay saved, live a holy life, and you'll make it all the way into heaven. That is the Calvinistic framework. 
So in order for us then to understand this, we need to break down each of these points points separately. And so I'm starting to do that here uh, by just starting with total depravity. So let's look at a Calvinistic definition of total depravity. And to do that, we must start with Augustine, because that is the stream from whence Calvinism has flowed from. So Augustine, he talked about the original sin of Adam. He said, as a result of that original sin, you and I as humans, uh, we have a common guilt of Adam's sin. Adam sinned and you and I as people are guilty in him. Then we uh, a common native depravity is also a result of the guilt. Because I'm guilty in Adam, now I am depraved and all of mankind is depraved because of our guilt from Adam's, Adam's sin imputed to us. <clears throat> and then a sinfulness of the depravity which in all men deserves both temporal and eternal punishment. So now I'm depraved out of no choice of my own, out of Adam's sin, uh, the guilt has come down to me. And because of that guilt, I am now depraved. And that depravity results in such, uh, I, I'm so full of sin that I'm going to go to hell because of something Adam has done. That is what uh, Augustine's teaching boiled down to. And then a Calvinistic confession uh, reiterates the same point. It says, by this sin of our first parents, they and we in them fell from original righteousness and communion with God, and so became dead in sin and wholly defiled in all the faculties and parts of soul and body, they being the root and by God's appointment standing in the room instead of all mankind, the guilt of this sin was imputed and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity or descendants descending from them by ordinary generation. From this original corruption, whereby we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good and wholly inclined to all evil, do proceed all actual transgressions. Every sin, both original and actual, being a transgression of the righteous law of God, and contrary thereunto, doth in its own nature bring guilt upon the sinner." whereby he is bound over to the wrath of God and curse of the law, and so made subject to death with all miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal. So we found Augustine's definition in the beginning. We see the Calvinistic confession uh, reiterates the same. And so let's deal with that common guilt of Adam's sin, according to the Calvinists. They say that Adam is our federal head. And federal headship refers to the representation of a group united under a federation or, or, or a covenant. That would be like the president would be our federal head over the United States. We voted for him. He stands in our place in world affairs and in so many other things. We've invested this to him. He has pledged to his allegiance to America and to the people that voted for him. He's uh, under a federation. He has made a covenant with the American people. Adam, however, made no such covenant to be in our stead, acting on behalf of the entire human race, though that is what the Calvinists would teach. Then, uh, because Adam was in our stead, when he sinned, his guilt was imputed to him, excuse me, imputed to all of us as mankind. So we are guilty of Adam's sin and therefore damned eternally unless we're one of the elect. Then a common native depravity is a result of that guilt. God is sovereign over all, and because total depravity equals total inability, and we're going to see that John MacArthur states that, then we have no free will. We're only free to do according to our nature. This boils down to if we are saved, then if we're, excuse me, if we're unsaved, then we always sin and all our motives are wicked. We can't do anything right or good. If we are saved, then we only choose righteousness. I'm putting this in. If, if they say that other side is that way, then th this side should be true. If we're saved, then we only choose righteous and good and the highest good at all times. 
So let me ask you the question, does a Christian never choose contrary to God? God commands all to obey, but they can't, according to the Calvinists, unless he sovereignly makes them through his election and irresistible grace. He then damns to hell those that he made unable to obey by his sovereign choice to the praise of the glory of his grace, the Calvinists would say. This seems to insult intelligence, logic, and drag God's name in the dust. So they say there's no free will. God must do everything. Therefore, God's responsible for all sin. And they would, they would never say that, I don't believe. But the problem is that's where it all logically ends up. Spurgeon said, free will is nonsense. You can find his sermon about free will online and read that for yourself. The present day Calvinist, John MacArthur, teaches this total inability of the will. And he, he says it this way, to say someone is totally depraved, you know, you think of Jeffrey Dahmer's or Charles Manson or somebody who has not a vestige of human goodness and void of all normal affection and restraint. To call someone totally depraved would set them outside normal people as vicious perverts. That is not what is meant when theologians refer to total depravity because not everybody is as bad as they could be and not everybody is as bad as everybody else. What we're talking about here, what John MacArthur is talking about is what's being said, is what I've chosen to call absolute inability. What is true of everybody is we have no ability to respond to the gospel. I don't believe that. We are completely unable to raise ourselves out of a state of death. I do believe that. We are completely unable to give our blind heart sight. I believe that. We are completely unable to free ourselves from slavery to sin. I believe that. We are completely unable to turn from ignorance to truth. I do not believe that. We are completely unable to stop rebelling against God, stop being hostile to his word. I don't believe that. And when I say I don't believe that, I mean we are, we've been given the command to repent. God then will save us and make us a new creature, but we do have a will that can choose to turn towards God and ask for his grace and his help to get above the sin in our lives and to be saved. We aren't going to save ourselves. But this is what Calvinism teaches uh, by one of the major proponents of that in our present day, John MacArthur. A sinfulness of the depravity, so that's the total inability of the will. A sinfulness of the depravity, which in all men deserves both temporal and eternal punishment, is also then the flow of Calvist, uh, uh, Augustinian Calvinism. However, this results in this teaching as well. Infant damnation as a result of total depravity. Infants are guilty of Adam's sin according to the theological framework of Calvinism. Uh, and so they, they would die and go to hell and the infants would be damned as a result of their total depravity definition and thought because we're responsible for the depraved nature that we were born with and we will be judged by it. And that is, unless of course, that infant child is part of one's God unconditionally elected people. But what does the Bible say? So that's what we're going to look at now, the scriptural teaching. And we're going to go to the, we're going to start with the fall, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, and we can find this, this is often the texts that are used by Calvinists is um, Romans chapter five. So we're going to be looking at Romans chapter five, verses 12 through 14, and then 17 and 18. Uh, where we're going to pull all this idea of the fall out of the scriptures. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, 
even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Verse 17, for if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. <clears throat> so, according to these verses, there was no sin or death before Adam sinned. Before Adam sinned, there was no sin or death. So sin and death are a direct consequence of Adam's sin. And I say sin and death, not just of people, but even the natural evils around us, the death and decay of plant life and animal life. And we see that everything tends toward decay, towards death, right? And that happens in all of creation. That is, according to these verses, a result of moral evil. Death went throughout the entire world, whereas in the Garden of Eden, it was not so. <clears throat> Now, everyone is put under the penalty of death as a consequence of Adam's sin. So we're not guilty of Adam's sin. That's what the Calvinists teach, that we have a common guilt of, because of Adam's sin. And that is what they would say, imputed guilt. Charles Spurgeon said, free will is nonsense. I say, imputed guilt is absolute nonsense. The Methodist theologian Thomas Railston says it this way, these words are always spoken in reference to something possessed or performed by the person to whom the imputation is made. Thus it is said, Abraham believed God and it, the faith of Abraham, was imputed to him for righteousness. Again, but to him that worketh not, but believeth, his faith is imputed to him for righteousness. That is his own faith and not the faith of another man. Albert Barnes, who was a mild Calvinist in his commentary on Romans 4.3 says this, I have examined all the passages and as the result of my examination have come to the conclusion that there is not one in which the word is used in the sense of reckoning or imputing to a man which, uh, what does not strictly belong to him or of charging on him what ought not to be charged on him as a matter of personal right. The word, that imputation, is never used to denote imputing in the sense of transferring or of charging that on one which does not properly belong to him. The same is the case in the New Testament. The word occurs about 40 times, see Schmidius Concord, Albert Barnes says, and in a similar signification. No doctrine of transferring or of setting over to a man what does not properly belong to him, be it sin or holiness, can be derived, therefore, from this word impute. So here's a mild Calvinist, Albert Barnes, but because of the honesty of his heart, he can't go along with this imputation of guilt because the Bible doesn't teach that. Um, so everyone is under the penalty of death as a consequence of Adam's sin, but that is not an imputed guilt. Adam's sin passed on a morally corrupted nature uh, to all of his offspring. So I should just say a morally corrupted, it's just a corrupted nature. Uh, and that is called inherited depravity. Um, I, I say, I, I guess I'm shying, shying away a little bit from that called the moral uh, corruption um, just because I don't want people to get the idea that somehow uh, more morality has to do with are we choosing righteousness or are we choosing wickedness? Which direction are we going? Um, but I hope you understand. It's, it's a depravity of the whole person and it's an inherited depravity. We read in uh, Genesis 5.3, and Adam begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. Notice, it's not after God's likeness. It's after Adam's likeness. So Adam sinned. 
Sin entered into the world, and because of that, attendant depravity has fallen on all of Adam's offspring from that day until now. It's just like if my father was an alcoholic. He can make choices, being an alcoholic, where he has um, sold all our belongings or whatever to buy drink. We end up in some dirty uh, cabin somewhere. We don't have any food. We don't have good clothing. And we're, we're often sick because he's not taking care of us because he's spending all his money on drink. Now, I am not responsible for my dad choosing that, and but I do have to live with the results of his choice. However, also, because my father is an alcoholic, I may be more likely to become an alcoholic myself. I don't have to be. I'm responsible of whether or not I choose to go in that direction, but it's easier for me to lean in that direction. And that kind of gives us the sense of the effects of Adam's sin and what it's done to the entire human race. Uh, so all, uh, excuse me, what it's done to all the entire human race. I believe at this time we'll take a break and we'll just pick it right back up after. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. Visit and like our social media accounts with Facebook, Twitter, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube. Visit our website at www.godsresistance.com and contact us by email at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. I just want to apologize that I sound like the Micro Machine Man. Some of you will get that and some of you won't. But there is a lot for me to pack into such a short 30-minute time slot. So bear with me. You listen fast. I'll speak fast. And if you need to, go to the podcast after and, and, and listen to it again and even slow it down. Now, we're looking at uh, all people, according to the scripture, are depraved from birth. Genesis 8.21 says, For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. After the flood, God promised not to destroy the earth again with a flood because all men are depraved from birth. Uh, this was spoken when only Noah and his family were alive. All the wicked had perished in the flood. And this shows that there is a hereditary tendency in all people towards evil because he's saying it to Noah, who he deemed righteous ones. And he's saying he'll never do that again because this is just the way the, the heart is in a human. They're prone in that direction. They, it doesn't mean that they necessarily have to, but they are certainly prone. And oftentimes that is exactly what's going to happen. So Psalm 51, 5, um, behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Shapen in iniquity is an interesting phrase. It cannot be taken about actual sin because this is speaking about a baby in the womb that has not yet, uh, not yet made any choices. So this shapen in iniquity has to do with something else, which we say is native depravity. Some would argue against the saying that David was actually born from some sinful union, which really is just um, speculation. David did have two half-sisters, Zeruiah and Abigail, and the father of these two girls was Nahash. However, there's no necessity of some sinful union between Nahash's widow and Jesse, which is David's father, who later could have married the widow after the two girls were born. And scholars also do not agree that all the times Nahash is mentioned in these portions of scripture is always the same person. Most commentators do agree that David is lamenting the depravity 
of his heart as the source of his heinous sin. This does not strip David of personal responsibility for his action, but rather his need to stay close to God because depravity has a tendency to lean away from God. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And he said, forgive him of presumptuous sin and renew a right spirit in me. He knew that there was a deeper need besides his actions. Psalm 58.3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. There is not a necessity that people should sin, according to the Bible, but rather are prone to it because of their native depravity as a result of the fall. So they're not responsible for the depraved condition of their heart in life when they are born, but that depraved condition will lead them to commit personal sins of which they are personally responsible. A little bit of a twist there, but something we need to understand in order to understand the Bible accurately. Depravity, according to the scriptures, is universal. Psalm 14.2, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Third verse, they are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now we realize here's this saying in Psalm, no, nobody that does good, no, not one, except that there are people who God said did do good. So this is a hyperbole uh, of speech where he's talking about the everyone is uh, depraved heart. This is the condition of the world. That doesn't mean it's impossible for any to do good because we see otherwise. Jeremiah 17, 9 also expresses the same truth. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. This is the depraved condition of mankind. There is also, we find in the scripture, a difference before and after the fall of man. Genesis 131, we read, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. An evening in the morning were the sixth day. So very good. That's from the creative hand of God. Then in 1 John 5, 19, we read what the world was like after. And we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. The whole world is in wickedness now. Uh, a man, Vance, had brought out these two points here. Before the fall, we read that man was created upright. In the image of God, a little lower than the angels and crowned with glory and honor, he was created to replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it, all for God's pleasure, Revelation 4.11. Excuse me, I've got to take a drink of water here. Then after the fall, we read that man is ungodly, the children of disobedience, the children of wrath, servants of sin, abominable and filthy, foolish, disobedient, deceived. Man is like the grass that withereth, a sheep going astray, and a troubled sea. Man is also likened to dust, a wild ass's colt, and a worm. Man is in darkness, blinded by Satan. Therefore, his thoughts are vanity. He lives a vain life and walks in a vain show. So there's the differences before and after. Here's the This is the Bible's teaching about depravity. It is real. It has happened. But how far do the effects go? Remember, the Calvinists taught that we have an inability of will. John MacArthur said absolute inability. If that is the case, then why does God command these things? Mark 1.15. The time, Jesus said, is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Jesus, don't you know that you made us in such a way that we can't repent? Why are you telling us to repent? We can't do that. Acts 17.30, In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth 
all men everywhere to repent. Notice he doesn't say commandeth all the elect. He says all men men everywhere to repent. How can they do that if they are absolutely enable? Isaiah 45, 22. God says, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. So he's saying, you do it. You look unto me. You be saved. You come to me. 1 John 3, 23. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Remember, John MacArthur said, we have no power to turn towards the gospel whatsoever, and yet we're commanded to believe on the name of his son, Jesus, and to love one another. How, how is that possible if we, can, if we don't have a free will? Revelation twenty two seventeen: the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. That's whosoever. That means anybody. Do this. This is what God is saying. This implies that there is a free will. Jesus himself said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, you come. How can we do that if we don't have a free will? In the last day, Jesus said, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. The Bible does not teach that we don't have a free will. That's the easy answer to all this. The other, the other argument that they would have is we aren't, we're only free only to do according to uh, the nature that we have. So here we find conscience explains the distinction between total and absolute depravity, why depraved man does not uh, express the evil of his unregenerate nature at all times. We're told in Romans 2, 14 and 15, when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which shew the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So the conscience of a fallen man still faces the choice between doing good and evil. Depraved and fallen people still have the ability to do good. <clears throat> Proverbs thirteen twenty two. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Uh, a good man. Uh, these are general th th thoughts here. Romans 2.10, But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Uh, Luke 6.33, this is very explicit. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. So he just acknowledged sinners do good. Uh, Matthew 7.11, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children... You're evil and you're giving good gifts to your children. How much more shall your father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Now, in all fairness, the Calvinists do have some sort of an answer where they say that there's like a common good and then there's the righteous good. Uh, and they have to make up different things in the scripture to try and defend their point. But I don't believe the scriptures clearly teach this. Isaiah 55, 6, we read, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. We are free, even in an evil state, to call upon the Lord. Uh, Acts 17, 26, And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell in all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation for what reason? That they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. So we are capable of seeking after the Lord. He's determined where we live for the very purpose. John 8, 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. In this, Jesus is saying you have the possibility of believing, but you won't. There's a choice. 
depravity, uh, this does not mean that there's no good in man, but that there is no good in man that can save him or satisfy him. But he can turn at God's commands or at God's command to repent and believe. He can turn toward God and God can fix him up. Infant damnation was another result. And the prevenient grace of God through the atonement covers the innocent. An infant can't choose good or evil because of the lack of proper knowledge or even capability. Mentally retarded people or mentally unstable people, they uh, are covered under the atonement of Jesus Christ because they don't have all the faculties to be able to make these choices and even understand the ramifications of it. And you and I have pity on these kind of people in society. Does God have less pity? There's no scripture that tells us that infants are eternally damned because of Adam's sin, unless they are one of the special elect that God chose. You will not find a scripture that says that at all. So the true scriptural meaning of depravity, uh, after compiling all the evidence, is that um, our first parents lost their primitive holiness, their peculiarly helpful and sustaining presence of the Holy Spirit, and the deprivation of their entire physical and mental and moral nature ensued. When Adam propagated children, he gave them just what he had to give, a depraved and fallen nature, weak, temptable, abnormal, deranged, liable to sin, and doomed to face death. Men are born with a nature full of propensities to sin, which lead them universally to commit sin, but they are not born sinners. They make themselves sinners by their own wicked choices. Men are not born with a sinful nature in the sense of a blameworthy nature deserving of divine punishment, but they are born full of the principle of sin or a proneness to sin, a sinful propensity, which leads all men to commit sin and become sinners. It is called sin, often the sin in the New Testament Greek. For this, God does not condemn us, but gives us his infinite pity and helping grace. That was summed up by uh, A.M. Hills. So the practical result of depravity is that every part of us has been affected by the fall. Our original powers and faculties that God created uh, as good have been twisted and perverted out of their God-granted origin, and we're now weak, temptable, and prone towards evil. We're not unable to respond to the gospel call and the wooing of the Spirit of God. Total depravity is total in the sense that it's affected our entire being, but not total in the sense that we have no free will uh, to choose good or evil. God commands all men everywhere to repent. We are responsible for our own decisions, especially what we do by the power and grace of the Spirit with the gospel call through the agency of the scriptures, preachers, evangelists, or anyone who is a part of the true church. You need to give me a call at 570-362-7782 or email me at gods.resistance at gmail.com or you can come and visit us Wednesdays, 6.30 p.m. on the Wilkes-Barre Public Square. Go to our social media accounts, listen to this broadcast, and tell your friends. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons License. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.